as a digital marketing assistant, if you can really start to think about different efforts and actions that drive the like numbers in each segment, then you can really stand out in the work that you do because you are keeping your, whoever has hired you, whoever you're supporting, like really focused on the goal and helping them feel clear on what work you're doing and why. Hey everyone, I'm Emily Reagan, and you've discovered Unicorns Unite. This is a podcast for freelancers, service providers, virtual assistants, and curious listeners who would like to experience the freedom and flexibility of working virtually. We're the magic makers, movers and shakers, and the real people doing the work behind the scenes of online businesses. Welcome to Unicorns Unite. Hey Unicorns, a quick shout out to today's sponsor, OSI Affiliate Software. If you're running an online business or working on behalf of your clients to boost sales, you've got to check out this tool. ASI Affiliate is a powerful affiliate tool that makes managing an affiliate program super easy. I'm talking about tracking sales, handling commissions, and all of that in one user-friendly platform. And the best part, it integrates right into your website or your client's website, turning your customers and influencers into their very own brand ambassadors. So if you want to take your affiliate sales game to the next level, head over to getosi.com slash Emily to get an awesome 20% discount on any plan and start your free trial today. Trust me, with OSI software, your clients are going to experience bigger launches and more affiliate sales. Growth is possible. Again, that's getosi.com slash Emily. Link is below in the show notes. Back to our show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Emily Reagan. I'm so glad you're joining us today because we are talking about the five core functions of marketing to better help you grow and maximize the impact you have on your clients. But it also, of course, always applies to your own service-based business. If you don't know me, I've been working in this online space for over a decade. I took my journalism and PR skills, all the other random military spouse jobs I had, and moved them into the online space accidentally and was quickly booked out and in demand because of my unique skill set. Now I train women how to do the same type of work that empowers them to stay at home, be present with their kids, have hobbies, have a life, have a work-life balance, have a side hustle, give options, make extra money, all the good stuff that comes with freelancing. I think what really bothers me is when people say, oh, freelancing means you you do it free. I'm not free. And that's not at all what it means. It means you get freedom financially and time-wise, but there's also like a mental freedom when you can shut things off and move on with your day and truly have that work-life balance. So I always focus on marketing. Today, my guest, Frenchy Ferenzi, is a business strategist and an advisor for overwhelmed but seriously ambitious experts, creatives, and service providers. She has been inside some serious startup businesses and knows a thing or two about staying close to the money and helping business owners really get on a path to consistent revenue, finding opportunities to make more money and be streamlined and efficient. She's also very adamant that her clients achieve their biggest business goals without falling victim to this business grind, this hustle, this burnout stage. 
And so today she is going to give you a freebie, 37 Stupid Easy Ways to Increase Your Revenue. Grab that in the show notes. It's going to help you look smart with your clients, but also do it for your own business. She's going to give you insight on what to say when you have that chaotic squirrel chasing client, this whiplashing, slamming on the brakes, who's driving you a little bit crazy. And it's going to help you with how to say it the right way, what you need to focus on, how to prioritize projects, but really focus on the revenue growth instead. It's really a simple reframe if you can focus on what actually makes your clients money. And not only that, you come away more value-based than ever, able to charge more, able to get out of this hourly dollar, you know, typical VA role where you're more of a strategist, you're a manager, you're a director, you're a consultant. And so I love what she says about thinking strategy is more complex than it really is. If you've taken my Unicorn Digital Marketing Assistant School, if you are in the work group, you know a ton and you are ready to step up into this role and implement more for your clients. If you love this episode, tag us both on Instagram. We'd love to hear if you implement her little trick that she shares. And I also really encourage you to check out her podcast, Strategy Snacks. I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. And without further ado, here's our interview with Frenchie. Hey, Frenchie, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here helping our marketing assistants and specialists really level up their marketing services. Tell everyone hello, a little bit about you and how your business started. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm so glad to be here. I love chatting with you. I love your show. And I love kind of the message and the impact that you have on the people that you support. So thank you for having me. I'm Frenchie Ferenzi. I am a growth strategist and a thought partner to industry experts, entrepreneurs, online business owners who are really looking to get to that next level of growth and feeling a little bit lost in the sauce on how to get there. Typically, it's people who are like, they're doing the thing. They're they're making some money, things are feeling good. And yet they're like, I feel kind of stuck at a certain level. And I don't want to stay stuck there. Like there's something more that I want. So those are my people. And my people are also people who are like, sometimes they're like, I don't really want to build an empire. You know, like, I don't want that 30 person team. I just want to pay myself enough to like, you know, do my Botox or send my <laughs> kids to camp or, you know, go on a vacation and pay for childcare. So I don't have to take my kids with me, or what have you. So that's really, you know, my, what my area of expertise and how I help people. And I got here through over 10 years working in startups and really focusing on growing and scaling these startups that were valued at like billions of dollars or almost billions of dollars. I mean, it's like kind of crazy when I think about it. And, you know, in that journey, I found myself like I was striving to climb the corporate ladder. I was like, I want to do more. I want to do better. I want to do better. And what I realized over time was that I was always working, but I wasn't always having an impact. And I couldn't always get to my annual reviews and be like, here is what I did for the business. And I'm like, that's a problem as an employee, but even more so as an entrepreneur, we need to figure out the impact that we're having. And so when I left startup life and decided to start my own business, what I really wanted was to help people not have that feeling, not have that feeling of like, I don't know what I did for my business, but instead feel like I know exactly what I did for my business. I know what I need to do for my business. And I feel clear AF on my next steps and my next steps of growth. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Tell us really quick what you did before all of this. So working in startups, I started in hospitality. I started in restaurants. 
I became a restaurant manager far too young. And I was like 21 and managing people twice my age and being like, I'm your boss, you know, like, <laughs> like really terrible at it. You know, eventually realized I hated restaurants, but I really did love hospitality. And more specifically, I love this idea of creating experiences for people, right? And this journey that you get to create for your clients. And so I went to work in more co-working spaces and those sorts of startups. And as I was doing that, I was there. And then I ended up at, so one co-working space in New York called Noya House, which was like very sexy and cool at the time. And then I went to open a hotel in Williamsburg where I did all their programming and events. And then I went to another super sexy, cool place called The Wing, which was like a women's membership club. I grew The Wing from four locations to 11 locations, 3,000 members to 12,000 members. There was just like a lot of big business energy behind it. And I learned so much and I found it so you know exciting to be a part of. And then The Wing kind of crashed and burned in 2020. And I had this moment where I was like, where do I go from here? Do I want to keep yeah. going down the path of like trying to climb the corporate ladder and like muscling through and working all the time or do i want to find a different way and what i realized is that i really wanted to find a different way but i still wanted to have an impact on business owners and on people who are looking to grow and scale their businesses yeah and you also have two children so you're balancing like yes. that side of your <laughs> life too which i mean is is part of why we don't want to be in the corporate world anymore right yes I have a side question for you just because I'm all about transferable skills and I've never really asked someone else. And I've also been in the restaurant industry, not at manager level, but I'm sure I would have got there if we didn't PCS. <laughs> what would you say to someone listening to this who has that skill and how can they use that to market themselves like right now on a discovery call? Because I think the biggest problem we have is when we're new, we've taken the training, we've done the thing, but it's like selling ourselves when we're new, but we're not completely new to business. Like, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? We're new to this type of business. So do you, ha do yeah. you have like a pointer there? Because the hospitality yeah. thing you just hit on was genius. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard about places that will actually just hire people if they've waited tables because they just know that if you've done that, you can handle a lot. You can deal with people. You can manage a lot of things at the same time. You can hold a lot of like, you know, spin a lot of plates. But if you get on a discovery call and you have that experience, the thing, the kind of I guess parallel skill that I think about is this idea of reading tables, right? So when you are waiting tables or working in restaurants, you walk the room or your section or what have you, and you are trying to understand what is happening at every table. What course are they at? Do they need to be cleared? Do they need water? Do they need another drink? Are they looking around and maybe they're looking for a server or someone to help them? Like kind of what is happening? And I think that there's a really similar energy and approach that needs to happen in a discovery call. So at a restaurant, what you're, you know, the menu of options of what you could offer is limited. There's food, there's water, there's drinks, there's checks, whatever. On a discovery call, I'm not saying if a person says that they need a CFO, that you should pretend that you're a finance expert by any means, no. but really trying to read the table in a similar way based on what it is that you can offer and deliver. What are you reading and picking up from the other person that you could maybe offer, double down on and bring up so that they feel seen, heard and understood? Ooh, I like that. Bringing that to your advantage within that conversation. It's so funny. Yeah. I'm listening to the book, Never Split the Difference with Chris Voss. I'm actually started mm -hmm. again because I fizzled out at the midway point. And he was talking about that ability to pivot with hostage negotiations and everything. And I was like, that is such <laughs> like a big skill. And I'm trying to figure out, I want to do a podcast about that, like how we talk about that. Because 
we need to have that ability to read people and on the fly make that decision and go a different route. And that's why like a plain old discovery script like does not work. So I hope anyone listening hears that and feels bolstered. Like I did this, I waited tables, I've gotten double, triple sat and I managed and I survived and (laughs) like you you can handle it. Okay, that was fun. Sorry, that was like a little side thing. I was like, oh, I I love it. Wonder how we can bring this (laughs) into play. Okay, why I brought you on the show is you're here to talk about the five core functions of marketing. And tell everyone what you said before we hit record. Why are we bringing this up here? Why are we doing this on my podcast today? I'm coming onto this podcast really with the belief that you are working with incredible people and impacting incredible people who understand marketing as a whole, right? Like who understand the impacts and benefits of marketing. But what I've kind of seen time and time again with my clients and even working in the spaces that I worked in before is that we tend to think about marketing as one big bucket rather than actually doubling down and getting a little bit more specific about the different phases and stages of marketing. And so that's where the five core functions really come in. So when I'm talking about the five core functions of marketing, I'm talking about lead generation, nurturing, conversion, delivery, and retention or upsell. And the reason that I think this is so important is because when most people are thinking, even most of your clients, you know, are thinking about marketing, they're like, I'm putting Instagram posts out there and I want to sell. And they're connecting dots between two things that might not actually be as connected as they think. When we double click and get into the five core functions, what we can actually start to say is maybe your Instagram post is a lead generation effort, but if you're not nurturing, you're not going to be able to necessarily convert those folks. And as a digital marketing assistant, if you can really start to think about different efforts and actions that drive the like numbers in each segment, then you can really stand out in the work that you do because you are keeping your, whoever has hired you, whoever you're supporting, like really focused on the goal and helping them feel clear on what work you're doing and why. And then you can also protect your own space and boundaries because rather than being like, the digital marketing assistant who's like doing random like stuff all the time, you're like, hey, listen, you mentioned to me, you person who hired me, that you are really focused on lead generation right now. Right now, what I've observed is that I'm spending a lot of my time on efforts that are more delivery focused, which is fine if that's what makes sense for you. But I just wanted to identify that and name that for you so that you can actually make a choice here and a decision here on is my time and energy best spent for you on delivery or on lead generation? I'm just giving one example of the type of conversation that you can have. The more specific you can get, I find the more people are able to hear you. And then as a result, the more impact you can actually have directly on your people. I love that because I think where people get off the happy path the most with their teams <laughs> is that missed expectation. And just because you hire someone to be a marketing assistant doesn't mean everything comes together like completely connected like that. We end up getting held responsible for everything and and we physically cannot. And it's up to us to get our clients to prioritize, but they also Mm -hmm. aren't thinking about that. Like the difference between inbound and outbound marketing, like not the same person. Sales, like that's a whole nother conversation, like having the closer come in and you can't expect the marketing assistant to be the social seller. I mean, sometimes there's unicorns that do both, right? But that's like rare. That's rare. They're unicorns for a reason. So I like that you broke that down because it really sets us up for success with our work too. And nobody, you're talking about impact. I can't stand wasting a client's money, doing things that I know that are not getting an ROI for them. Like I need job satisfaction and I need to know I'm being utilized and I'm maximizing my efforts. 
I also think that, you know, in the same way that copywriters tend to like sub niche a little bit into like launch or email or what have you, I feel like a DMA can do something similar when we start to break it down to the five core functions. So you could be like the person who's like, you know what, my like strong suit is lead generation. Like I can like be out there researching hashtags and like, you know, what have you. Or you might have the person who's like, you know what, I'm like, really good at driving engagement. And like, I will be in your DMs chatting with people and building those relationships. Or you have the person who's like really focused on delivery and they're making sure that there's a seamless client experience so that like the people who are in your world are like, I love it here and it helps them stay. So I think that if you really also want to flip it on its head, one thing you can do is think about in your own skill set as a DMA, which area and which core function do you really want to be known for and stand out as? Because mm -hmm. then you can lead with that and you can proactively manage expectations from your clients rather than being like, I do your marketing and they can apply whatever kind of ideas they have on that. Yeah. Yeah. What's coming to mind for me is thinking about that delivery piece because I always see that as completely separate you know, that you would not hire a community manager and have someone nurturing your paid community and then also doing lead gen. Like, it doesn't right. really make sense. But yet they they do that to us. <laughs> they expect yes. us to do all of that. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. It really makes things very clear for anyone who's kind of struggling with what to do. But yet, I have to say, is there like a combination you think might fit better together? Because I get a lot of cold DMs from yeah. the lead gen specialist who's like all in on that, you know? So how could a DMA be different than that? I think that there's a couple different ways. I, I guess this is like a little bit more based on kind of just my own philosophy, but I actually think that we as business owners are often externalizing lead generation too much. And like, I feel like oftentimes it's like, I mean, obviously it depends on the size and scale of your business, but let's just say it's a business owner who has like one or two people like kind of contract based on their team. That business owner should probably be the person who's doing most of their lead gen, right? Yeah. And then the DMA should be helping to either support some of that work, whether it's in like content creation or that sort of thing. But then I think where DMA can really stand out is like in the nurturing piece of it, right? Because I feel like I just know this as, as a business owner myself. I'm like out there, I'm like trying to bring people into my world. I'm pitching myself to podcasts. I'm like doing all the things. And then, you know, there's the risk that those people come into my world and then I kind of forget about them. And then when I'm trying to sell to them, I'm like, why is no one buying my stuff? You know, whereas yeah. if I've been really nurtured and engaged, I could probably protect myself from that. So I think that there can definitely be that overlap between multiple parts of them. I would say like nurturing and conversion go really hand in hand, right? Like if you've been doing like a lot of engagement and, and like that sort of thing, you can really help support on like launches and webinars. And if you like, you know, if you, let's just say you've been in the DMs with someone who shows up at a webinar and you're assisting at the webinar and, you know, you see that person, like you can really say like, hey, good to see you here or, you know, that sort of thing. So we think that those go hand in hand. I think that the like down funnel side can really go hand in hand. So like the delivery and the retention piece can go hand in hand because someone who's like really in it, like you can really foster that relationship with the people. I think that on the lead generation side, it's a little bit less direct. I think that's the thing that I would say is like the person who's like, you know, I keep getting messages on LinkedIn, like can Frenchie Frenzy coaching handle a hundred warm leads a month? And I'm like, <laughs> I get those all the time. Also like probably not from you. But I think that on the lead generation side, it's like, what is some of the heavy lifting backend administrative work required, right? So mm -hmm. I know for myself, when I worked with support people, it's been like, okay, 
I have a pitch template for podcasts. Can you help me find the podcast and send the emails to those people? I know what I want my core messages to be. Can you help me create the content around it? So I think that on the lead generation side, I think if you can actually lead with that transparency of like, you need to know how you want to get your name out there. And then I help you facilitate that so that you can really focus on expanding your reach, your audience and all that. I think that can be really powerful too. I don't know if I answered your question. No, I, I really think you did. I was kind of curious what you would say too, because I see you know some of it helping with lead gen, but I never saw a DMA as completely responsible, kind of like the way you would hire a fractional CMO and make them mm-hmm. responsible for all of it. I'm like, it just didn't really make sense, but yet we can build the lead magnet funnel for you. We can update the pages. We can help you with SEO that's going to drive you know that organic search traffic, but- I was thinking of those exact DMs that you're getting right now because they're like asking me to be like more like all those coaching clients. I'm like, I don't even really do discovery calls. So like, do your homework before you pitch me. That's exactly what I was imagining. Like, how are we different than them? So thank you. (laughs) We are. We are different than them. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We really are. So you talk about this simple like reframe that can really help us improve our impact on clients? Like, what is it? So it's this idea of staying close to the money. And I'm actually in the process of trademarking that phrase because people were starting to use it. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> but I think it's like people in my world, if they've just like started to say it, they're like, yeah, you just got to yeah. stay close to the money. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. TM, TM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of staying close to the money is really thinking about how close or far from potential revenue is the work that I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. So I think what happens with a lot of VAs and kind of more administrative support people is that these business owners get like overwhelmed and then they're like, I need help. And then they have someone who is like building a sauna or doing all this kind of backend work, which might be valuable, but is not necessarily really driving the bottom line of the business. Whereas let's just say, you know, if we think about it differently, this person instead could hire someone who's helping them with like pitching and content creation that is like efforts and work that is far closer to building your bit like visibility, your email list, and potentially helping you drive more sales. So when I think about being close to the money, I think that there's two sides to it. As a business owner, I feel a responsibility to understand like what efforts in my business have actually led to more sales and more results. I think that for our DMAs who are listening, I think you can really powerfully show up for your clients when you say, hey, listen, I've noticed that over the past month, I spent a lot of my time on X, Y, and Z. That is important work, but I've also noticed that it's not really helping you build the bottom line in your business. And my question for you as a business owner is like, do you need my support to drive the bottom line or the top line and help you grow your revenue? Or is this the best use of my time, right? And it's not really to challenge someone to be like, I'm bored or, or whatever, but like to yeah. your point, right? You want to also be empowered to have those conversations. And so the reason that I like the stay close to the money framework is because I think about it as like very simply, how can you count the steps between the work that you're doing and the potential revenue associated with it? So you can be making a reel for someone, but that reel needs to get posted, get engagement, get, you know, like all those sorts of connections. And then from there, maybe you'll get on a call and then maybe you'll book a launch and then maybe, maybe, maybe. Whereas if you, let's just say, are a DMA who's like 
sending a DM to the people who like or comment on posts and you're like, hey, great chatting with you. And you kind of get them into a conversation funnel that drives them to a discovery call. You're like, start conversation, drive conversation forward. And that is like far more likely to get you on the call and making a sale. Does that make sense? Hey, I'm interrupting my own show to ask, have you taken my quiz? If you're wondering how to combine your services and skills in a unique, unicorn-esque way, then take my quiz to open your eyes to the possibilities. This quiz is based on the DISC personality. It will be unique to you. I'll take what you're good at, what you already know, plus your personality traits, and give you suggestions on how to adapt to the online space and combine your uniqueness in a way that makes you totally hireable and an in-demand unicorn. Go to emilyreaganpr.com slash quiz or check it out in the show notes. Back to the show. Yeah, because what's happening in this space is we, as a business owner, talking as the client right now, we're told we need to do all these things. It's yeah. really easy to compare and think we have to do all of them, overcomplicate yeah. it, like kill our budget, have all these people when probably half of that doesn't need to be done. And I mean, I feel that with just to be honest, the organization of my business, like when I first started, it was me and Deb just doing everything, doing everything. Yeah, We're in the growth state. We're out of the startup. We're in the growth stage and it's messy and I just have to be okay with it. I kind of have to be okay with it because would a perfectly like immaculate Google Drive make me happy? Yes. But like you said, it's not really driving the bottom line right now. And I need to be more focused on that. I mean, there is a point, probably that tipping point when your systems slow you down and clog you down and get you confused. But there's right. also just things that can wait, right? Right. Well, and I think that what you said is a really, really important piece, which is that Staying close to the money looks different at different stages of business. Yes. For me, for example, right? Like people come to me, they're always like, Frenchie, I have a lead generation problem. And I'm like, do you? Or do you have a nurturing problem? Right? Like I'm always like, and sometimes it is a lead generation problem. But I find that a lot of people who say that to me have not yet maximized the potential revenue from the audience, potential clients that they already have. The only way to kind of like figure that out is is data and time. So I know that for me right now, like I really have hit that cap on my kind of smaller audience size. And so I'm like really doubling down on efforts that will help me build my list. Now that directionally is kind of like far from the money, right? Because it's a lot of time and effort that's behind the scenes. There's a lot more steps, but I have the data to show me that when people join my list, they convert pretty well. And so I know that by bringing more people onto my list, I have the kind of systems in place to convert those people. But it took me time to build those systems and I had to do it kind of like, so it's funny, we tend to think we have to start with the leads and move them down into the journey. And I actually start like a little bit more down funnel where I'm like, let me nurture, let me kind of master like the nurturing, the launch strategies, all that. And then... I can build a back end that's like fully in place to then convert those leads. So anyways, all that to say, to your point, yes, it looks different at different stages and you have to kind of keep checking in and ask yourself. And the thing is, is like the data and the experience will tell you, you will see when your systems are beginning to clog things up and where you have the person who's like, hey, listen, like this is all over the place. Like, how do I work with you better? So it's not always that staying close to the money is being on calls with people because if you want to have like a high scale, high growth business, then that's not the closest thing. But we don't scale until we're scaling. 
Oh my gosh. I love that. Do you have any other examples like that? Because I think it's so fascinating because our clients will do that to us all the time. Like see something someone else is teaching, think it's the shiny object. So Mm -hmm. how can we like, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but how can we make sure they're focusing on the right thing at that time? Because the last thing we want is the whiplash from all these ideas that aren't actually going all the way through. But sometimes they go through, but they're not effective and successful. So I use Alexa a lot in my house too as like a third parent where I'm just like, Alexa, timer five minutes and it's time to go to school. I'm like, oh, Alexa just said it's time to go to school. You know, (laughs) tell her. It's her fault. It's her fault. Take it up with her. (laughs) The reason I'm saying that is because I actually think that very similarly with business owners, if you can neutralize the feedback that you're giving, and it doesn't sound like an opinion, but actually it sounds like a fact, the better off you are, which means you have to pull from the data. So let's just say that you are spending all your time working on like a webinar funnel for a client and you have seen that actually like they're doing the webinar because that's what you quote unquote should be doing, (laughs) but also nobody's converting from the webinar, right? That's a really good time to just be like, I was looking at the information that you have, your last two launches, People who've converted have converted either through social, you know, again, if you have the data, you have to look at the information that you have, but have converted either through social or through email. And the webinar itself has not like driven conversions. I wonder if that's something to look into more. I wonder if there's a different way that we can be engaging with those people. So I think that that's kind of one example. I think if we're thinking about different stages of business and where you're at and what staying close to the money might look like, I know a lot of people, like I have a big percentage of my revenue that comes from upsells. I know a lot of people who like don't have follow-up offers for their their clients, right? And so that's like another place where people are like so obsessed over lead generation. And I'm like, have you made a second offer to the people who've worked with you? And like what has happened there, right? And so that's another example where it doesn't always like look like what we think it is, but building in upsells can be a really valuable way to not just increase your revenue now, but actually know over time, right? Like my dream scenario is over time. I know that if a hundred people join my email list and I nurture them, right? I want to know, like, I want to be able to print on the data and evidence that I have, like what they're going to buy and how many of them are going to end up upselling so that I can actually project my revenue, right? Yeah. Based on percentages. Yeah. And you can get there. And then once you have those numbers in place, then you can really figure out where the leaks are and where the gaps are. And that's really where you need to be like doubling down and fixing it and using your time and energy. Where have you seen leaks at different times? I'm sure you have examples. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's interesting you brought up the podcasting because I was just thinking of there's different advantages of using people, right? It can be like more of the time saving or like a money making opportunity. Sometimes it truly is time saving. Like you're talking about visibility. A lot of people want to be visible, get on more podcasts, but they're not ready to hire a pitching company right? Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of work. Even me and my own business with a PR background, like I know how much work it is. I also don't always see a lot of immediate return from a podcast guest. Right. It is. And I mean, I probably make better connections guest teaching in somebody's Mm -hmm. group than that. So it's really like even filtering that because I'm in a place now I don't have a lot of free time. You know, I'm spread very thin and I need to be very picky and say no more to even speaking opportunities, which is really hard because I like to say yes to everything. 
I'm just thinking of like, if somebody can come onto my team and expand my capacity, there still is an advantage to that too. Like, I don't want to say no to the big podcast, but like, we just have to be careful. We have to look at the data for that. And I, I don't see big data coming from, thank you for being on my podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But that's exactly the type of information that we're looking yeah. at, right? And it's like, okay, more specifically, I totally agree that someone needs to expand your capacity. But what are they expanding your capacity for? Because mm-hmm. whatever they're expanding your capacity for should have a measurable return on the bottom line. Yeah. Or on the quality of your life, right? Like if they're expanding your capacity so that you can spend more time with your kids, that's also like incredibly valuable. I don't want to discount that. Yeah. yeah. For the purposes of this conversation within our little five core function. (laughs) (laughs) So we think that that is really important. And just as a side note, yes, I've been doing a lot of podcast pitching. I think that the return on podcast is like so variable, but I think the cumulative effect of being Mm -hmm. like, One of my favorite things that I've done, this is just a side note on podcasts and actually a great thing for you all to do for your clients is I made a Spotify playlist of all the podcasts I've been on so that then I share that with people and I'm like, binge Frenchie. And so it creates like this halo of credibility, even if I haven't just gotten like a bunch of people signing up for my freebie through podcasts. Oh, that's amazing. So are you using it more like a press kit or like to get this like a sizzle reel more or less? Exactly. That's awesome. You're talking about retention and delivery. Okay, I was going to ask you how those are different, but I also see a lot of links in that follow-up, like the very simple following up inbox, like at a certain level when you start to hire that out, like having someone who is savvy enough not to just do their role in a bubble, but like think in terms of the next thing. So even posting on social, it's not just posting to social, like it's like taking note of who are the people who are the most engaged because I'm very omnipresent, but I'm also spread very thin. And so right. I appreciate my teammates who are thinking, I'm training that. I've been working on it all year, Frenchie, but like thinking in terms of sales, like this person's really hot. How do I identify her to Emily so she doesn't freaking drop the ball and miss it? Because that's what's happening. Yeah. I'm getting pulled yeah. away when the bus comes and I forget to do things. So I almost need a little bit of like a pipeline driver, but not really a salesperson. So yeah. the follow-up, like you said, with your upsell, like that's really something most people don't do, right? They get them in the yeah. funnel, they try to nurture them with email and then boof, gone. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> a couple of things that are coming to mind as you're talking. Okay. One yeah. is that to me, the difference between delivery and retention is that Delivery is actually like the experience that someone has in your ecosystem after buying from you, right? So they sign up for your course and your program. The delivery is like, what is the onboarding like? Are you delivering on the promise that you make in your marketing essentially, right? Like, are they actually getting what they paid for in terms of number of calls? I recently heard all these stories of these people who just like straight up just like don't. They're like, oh no, I can't do four calls even though someone paid them for four calls. Me too. I'm hearing about this about like my competitors. They're like, they were supposed to be on coaching calls and they're not. She went on vacation for two weeks. And I'm like, why are you running a live cohort? (laughs) Like, Because it's all these people who are like claiming like the lifestyle independence. But it's like, okay, well, that's great. But you can't be a jerk to the people who are buying from you. So all I had to say, the retention and upsell is basically, I think of it as like an output of the delivery because you can't upsell someone if they've had a terrible experience working with you. Mm -mm. Right? Yeah. And- Obviously, there's this idea that like 
you know, there's always going to be the people who are unhappy, right? That's one thing. And that happens. And for whatever reason, I'm not talking about those people, but right. We want the average 80% of people to at least consider working with you again in some capacity. So that's kind of how I see this. And then it's like, how and when do you pitch them, re-engage them? And all that is really like the retention and upsell strategy that is different than the delivery strategy, which is like, you know, everything from the experience of working with you to the curriculum to, you know, how supported they feel and so on and so forth. So anyways, now I don't remember the rest of what you said. But yeah, we're kind of brainstorming. I was talking about getting like the sales mind in with all of our actions. Oh, Okay. So tell me what you think about this, because I've had similar moments where I've been like, okay, I have a pipeline of people. There is a way that I could be more high touch with people in my pipeline, whether it's the people who are commenting on my stuff a lot, clicking on my emails a lot and all that. And I do need to track them. I'm pretty good on like the systems tracking side. Mm -hmm. But what I think I'm realizing is that if I want support on that, I need somebody to own it. And I think that I'm like a little bit, I'm like getting my hands a little too dirty. And so I wonder if the same thing is true for you. Is that actually like, yes, some people can kind of just like plug and play because it's like a little bit more narrow and project based. But if someone's like really essentially like a pre-customer relations manager (laughs) or like assistant, like that's kind of where their time and energy needs to be focused. And like, this goes back to the five core functions, which means to me, that person is a nurturing person. They're not a salesperson. They're a nurturing person. They're the person who's mm-hmm. like keeping track of who you should be talking to, who I should be talking to, whatever. They are keeping track of like where people are. Did they book the call? Did they not book the call? Like, should we have a follow-up conversation with them? Have we not heard from them in three months? Is there an opportunity to re-engage? I think that maybe if that that's a helpful reframe, like thinking about it as like a nurturing person who's like somehow coalescing all these like names and people who you could really help and who could really have an impact on and like making sure that they are getting that kind of like higher touch communication that they, you know, may need to get in order to become a client. And I like that because when you put that label on it, it can expand to, okay, so what else can I do within this context of nurturing for my clients? Yeah. I think honestly, that was kind of my problem with the launch last year. Although we did really well, I thought I had brought someone in to do that. She didn't really own the process. And I probably should have just gone with a specialist at that point. To be honest, I should have gone with a specialist who could have owned it completely start to finish and just taken the lead. So this year we did better and I had more of a nurturing community manager person doing it. I actually had the person doing delivery. So that way she could follow yep. people on the the journey. So it went yeah. better. I mean, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. You're just like killing it on the five core functions without even like having a label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm just like magically doing it. But I mean, it's it's hard because there's just so much you could be doing. Like from the client perspective, I cannot have 20 different specialists in my business right now. And so I need to be smart yeah. about how I'm combining things so they are aligned because I have learned who on my team is not good at that. You know, I, I have learned that and I've seen that on other teams I've been with. Like yeah. we need to be in our sweet spot. So, and what's cool is if you know you're good at that, you can kind of create your own role for yourself. Totally. Like retitle totally. yourself. Okay. You yep. have a really cool freebie for us to help us increase yes. our revenue. Tell everyone what that is. Absolutely. So it's called Stay Close to the Money, 37 Super Easy Ways to Grow Your Revenue Without Being Salesy. This freebie basically assigns like some different 
tactics and strategies that you can use in each core function to help you really figure out what to do. Like what does lead generation activities look like? What do nurturing activities look like? So you can really do that. The double bonus, I think, of this freebie is that actually you can use it for yourself as you're kind of building your own audience, but you can mm -hmm. also use it to support your clients, right? And so as you are thinking about how you show up for your clients, and obviously, you know, your clients will have a job description for you and all of that, but you can also think of ways to really shine and stand out as someone who's like proactively thinking about the client's business and their overall revenue. Okay. Give me a nurturing a strategy that would be easy for a DMA to bring to her client right now. I think really thinking about like some way to bring people together is such an easy, low-hanging fruit way to nurture. And it can be a webinar. It can be just like an office hours live Q&A session that you can like throw together for like a week out. Just some way to really build that deeper relationship and that deeper know, like, and trust with the people who are already in your world. So that's just one, one example. Oh, I love that. I kind of did that with my wait list over the summer ahead of my launch. Yeah. Like I kind of got everyone in meeting and we called them a waitlist mixer. And yeah. we just got to ask questions. Sometimes there's like a little bit of a teaching moment in there, but it was just nice for them to connect with other service providers. Yeah. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, your clients could yeah. totally do that. And it would be easy for you as a DMA to help set that up and make it like minimal work for them. Exactly. One thing I like when my team does and I try to teach my DMAs to do is also like set me up with who's attending. Like you see the list. Yeah. It's very important to me that I don't become this brand where I don't know who you are. Like if you're DMing yeah. me and you bought something from me, I want to know for that retention that we talked about. But I also want like, oh, yeah, remember Frenchie? You know, she used to work for startups. Like just a couple key words will like bring my brain back and then I'll be yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So now I can make you feel seen and heard and like reference, totally. you know. So totally. little things like that can set you up. So, okay, where's the best place to connect with you, Frenchie? You can find me on Instagram or download my freebie and get on my email list. I send a couple emails a week and I get people really do give me a lot of compliments on my emails. I'm sure everybody says that, but like, I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> you also have, I'm going to plug, you also have a really fun private podcast called Strategy Snacks. Tell oh, yes. That. I have enjoyed that one a lot because it's so quick well, and, you, and, you get... and also you've been on it yes or <laughs> so strategy snacks is a podcast it is basically 10 minute business bites as i like to call them from top mentors and so we really just get to the core of it one thing i found in listening to you amazing conversations like ours today is that sometimes i just don't have the time to listen to the whole thing and so i wanted to bring in these experts to really just like get to their bottom line as quickly as possible so each episode is 10 minutes or less. I do some solo episodes. I do a lot of guest episodes. And we really just dive into what their kind of best business tips and advice are. And I try to name them all so that like they really speak to the specific topic, at least like the solo episodes. So you can like scroll through and you're like, oh, okay, this is what I need today. Okay, thanks. All right, I have one final question for you. I'm going to put you yes. on the spot again because this is what I like Ooh. to do. A new question that I'm going to start asking all of my podcast guests. What is one way you're using AI in your business right now? Uh, okay. I'm like really not. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so behind. Okay. No, that's not entirely true. I use it in two ways. I use subjectlines.com, which is an AI-based thing. And I put in all my subject lines. And then if it doesn't have a score of 100 out of 100, then I try 
to score it up so that like my email subject lines are punchier, which they are. Great job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Subject lines.com. Not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> Available for brand deals. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other way is that, so I've like tried to get ChatGPT to like write things for me and that sort of thing. And I always hate it. But there are times where like I just need to put in some words and I need to hear those words or read those words in like 10 different ways. So that's like the other way that I use it is like if I'm trying to figure out how I can say something differently, like whether it's a header on a sales page or a social caption, I drop it in. I ask for like 10 to 15 like different ways to say it. And then typically some combination of those will get me right. to my final kind of piece. Yes. Yeah, it's a stepping stone for renaming things. Yeah. Great. No, that's yeah. great. That's like the best way to start with it too. Like as a thesaurus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but sometimes our brains just need that extra help. So awesome. All right. Thanks for sharing. We will see you over on Instagram. All right. Bye. So Frenchie Forenzi is amazing. I encourage you to go look at the copy she puts out there. She is no bullshitter. Her copy is spectacular. Her design is spectacular. If you love nerding out on marketing, which of course you do because you're listening to this podcast, go enjoy it and follow her on Instagram too. It's a good lesson for all of us. And it really is such a good lesson as far as focusing on the right tasks and seeing results faster. These five core marketing functions will help you really Focus your clients and focus your work and stop all of that craziness that's happening when you're constantly working on new projects, when you're shifting everything, when your client's suddenly prioritizing TikTok, but yet doesn't have the capacity to keep showing up over there. It's all really frustrating. And honestly, you know what comes down to with the most successful freelancers and service providers? It's boundaries. Take the words that Frenchie said with how to address that, use it and articulate your own value and set up this expectation from the get-go in your discovery calls, in your kickoff calls, that you are a resource, that you're adding value, that you're bringing in money, that you're thinking strategy and you are not just some assistant. If you love this podcast, I could really use your help, A, sharing it with a friend, B, sharing it with a client, and C, giving me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, helps me out so much. I'd also appreciate hearing from you what kind of episodes you would like going into 2024. If you could fill out our annual listener survey, it would help me out a ton. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, see you next week. If you want to start earning income as a digital marketing service provider or digital marketing assistant, you only need your laptop. You can tap into what online business owners really need help with by downloading my top 10 most requested tasks. These are the services I did for years for my clients behind the scenes. You can take this download and apply it to your own business and start by offering these very same services. If you want to niche down in digital marketing, this is your guide. Just use the link in the show notes or go to emilyreaganpr.com slash services. <laughs> that would be hilarious. It was like I screwed oh it up. Okay. I was going to ask you for a specific one. Um, yeah. Which, which which one should I ask you? Which topic? <laughs>
Okay, so give us give us a nurturing. Wait, hold on. Let me go back up here. By the way, did my I don't know if we got a notification. Did my episode come out? I don't think it came out yet. Okay, like, okay. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it did not. It did not. Okay, that's probably going to be in the bloopers. Fun. Okay, cool. Um, okay, cool. So I guess let's end it. Let me think. Okay.